0: What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for downloading this episode of So What Do You Really Do, the podcast where I, your host, or Dennis, talk to artists and entertainers about their day job. Uh, my episode today is actually with a friend uh, named Robin Perkins. She is a comedian. She's from Boston, moved to London, started comedy, and now she's been actually pretty successful with it, which is good for her. Uh, she, at the time of this interview, she just started going, um, doing comedy full time, quit her day job. And was doing comedy. Uh, We'll go into that a little bit. You'll hear that. Um, And I actually was lucky enough to run into her last night. She's back here in the States uh, for the holidays. She was here for about three, almost four weeks. And uh, I saw her last night. We hung out for a little bit. She was on a show. She was very funny, working new material. Uh, It was a good time. It was good seeing her again. And luckily, still... Uh, so surviving solely off doing comedy, which is good because she also didn't work that much when she was here. Uh, when she was telling me last night, she's like, Yeah, I've done like nothing comedy wise since I came to the States, and I was like, Eesh. But good for her, uh, that everything been and the comedy side has been working out for her. all right. She is the kind of person that pisses me off because, and we'll go a little bit into it towards the end of the podcast. She is the person that doesn't really plan on doing anything and then does it and is really good at it, and that's kind of annoying, but uh, like her job uh she 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 did architecture knew nothing about architecture decided she just wanted to do it and then did it and became successful at it uh comedy had no uh, no desire to do comedy and then she just decided to start doing comedy one day stand up and became really good at it and it's kind of annoying but good for her she's very good she's a very funny person and uh apparently smart and lucky but good for her anyway uh, yeah when we did this interview uh it was a Six months ago, and it was a hell day. I was just late getting down to meet her because we were. De- she was staying with her sister in an area called Jamaica Plain, which is south of Boston. Um, I live in like what's called, considered West Boston, and I work just outside of Boston uh, in a suburban area, just moments away. It doesn't matter um, geographically wise, but trying to get down there on a tee, I was running late. I was rushing, um, and then. Like, I decided just... And I was using, doing it on a Zoom not in my studio here that I've since built... Uh, start, since I started this podcast, I built a studio in a spare room. And by built a studio, I meant I took a bunch of spare parts and made a studio out of it. Because I have all kinds of stuff just lying around. Uh, it was worse when I was in Baltimore. When I had space to put stuff, I had so much just junk equipment. That I got rid of when I moved to Boston here. But I'm still keeping a, a hold of a lot of junk equipment. Anyway... Uh, run, rushed all the way down to Jamaica Plain, the meter, and I was, as I was walking up the house, I just pulled out the Zoom, hit record, and I just started recording like the moment I rang the doorbell. So it's going to be a little uh, – there's a little editing in there, but basically you'll hear her just walk right up to the doors like, hello, and then we um, talk. And the reason I do that, um, and I do the same thing here in the studio, what I do is I just start the recorder before anybody's here. When somebody's coming over here in my place to record, I tell them, just text me when you're outside. Don't ring a bell or anything. Just text me. That way I can – Meet them outside and let them in. And what I do is I hit record and I go out and I meet them. And we start talking naturally. Hey, what's up? What's going on? Yeah, hey, come on in. How was the, did you have trouble finding here? Are you parking? Blah, blah, blah. How was this other thing? And as we're coming in the studio, we're still talking. The reason I do that is because I want people to to have a natural flow into conversation. Uh, We are naturally, as people, we naturally become different when we know we're being recorded whether it's microphones whether it's cameras usually cameras because people see them um and you can look at them microphones tend to to you tend to easily forget more about but except for when they're like right here in your face the way they are in my studio uh they're pretty large they're not much space in here so it's kind of hard to ignore them but I used to do a internet radio show when I was in college where I interviewed bands and I always noticed that people were always on their guard as soon as the microphones went on And I noticed, like, it was the same thing every time when bands were in the studio. They'd be lively and joking around before we go to them, you know, in between songs or while songs are playing. I'd be talking to them. They'd be joking around and having a good time and being loud and and, and great. And then as soon as we go to their interview part and the microphones came on, they got scared. You know, it's like, hey, uh, I got Devil's Radio here in the studio. Guys, why don't you go ahead and uh, introduce yourselves and say hi to the audience? hello, you know, like they would just become frightened of the microphones all of a sudden, as soon as they know that they're on, uh, because they're not used to doing that things. And the same thing with my friends and other comedians. Yeah, we talk into a microphone on stage in front of people, but we're also not used to being open and natural in conversation or being interviewed by other people. So we have that, that natural guard up and I do the best I can as my personality during the interview to make people feel comfortable and feel like they can just open up and talk that they're not being grilled or trying to that I'm trying to find something secretive. to well, I just wanted to talk. I just want to have a chat, a conversation. That's what I'm trying to record, and that's what I do with this. That's one of my little tricks: is to already talking. We're already in here, sit down, bam, we're already going. You don't even realize that we have started. You know, it works for some people. Um, I feel like it's working. I guess for the interviews that I'm having now, uh, it's a little more tricky editing, but that's that's not a problem. Editing is pretty easy. You know, yes, I could not edit out the conversation walking down the hall where it's a benign conversation but i don't want to um know, like my conversation last week with last week's episode with john paul you know i started the recorder as soon as i saw him walking into my backyard because like if you listen to it i recorded the episode in my backyard because i don't know why not uh we had a good time that's why i wanted to do it but now here in the studio, they don't see the mics, they see you know, they just come in and they sit down, they pull right up to it, and they they realize in middle of sentence, they pull right up to the mic and then they start talking, and we just keep going and flowing, and it works. But with John Paul, I still felt he was a little bit guarded. Not as in he was hiding anything, but I think he felt a little intimidated with the recorders around. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. John's a great guy. Um, it seemed to me like he was overly conscious about what he was going to answer before each thing he said i don't know maybe that's that. maybe that's the way john is and i never noticed it until the podcast or not or you know maybe it wasn't as comfortable of a situation as i wanted it to be but and also like when we walked in we immediately started talking about the recorder so there was no not forgetting the recorder was there like, like uh, i'm pretty sure i edited. well i Positive. I edited out the beginning of the conversation, which is just me and John Paul sitting there talking about the recorder and how it works and what it can do and stuff like that and geeking out. And then at the end, again, we we geek out. uh, I geek out all over him about the recorder and the microphones and stuff like that because I am a tech nerd and I love that stuff. That's why I have all these things just sitting around where I could build a studio. So... But anyway, that day with Robin, I think it was a great conversation. It was definitely one of those, uh, I don't know if I left it in or not, to be honest with you, uh, where she's like, uh, should we start recording, by the way? Like, we're half hour, 45 minutes into a conversation. She's like, should we start the podcast, by the way? I was like, oh, I started it at the door. She's like, oh, oh, damn it. Uh, like, did I say anything that I shouldn't have? And she didn't. She's fine. She's great. Um, Sparkling personality, very funny. And so it was a very open and natural conversation. Um The audio's not great because there's just the zoom in a room. There's a little bit of echo and bounce. Most people's not going to notice that. I'm pretty sure most of you would not even notice nor cared about it had I not brought it up. And I don't know why I brought it up. And, of course, I have the opportunity to be able to to delete this part, cut it out of this intro, so you never hear it and you'll never think about it. But uh, that's not what I'm going to do. I'm going to leave it in. I'm going to be comfortable with leaving in me pointing out my own mistakes. So anyway, let's get into the podcast Uh, because it's a great talk her and I had about you know her being a woman in comedy and the difference between comedy here in America and in London. Those are things that interest you. This is going to be a little deep into it. Um, If you're an Anglophile like me, maybe you'll recognize some of the names that she mentions when she talks about comedy. Uh, I did not. I don't think there was a name that that I recognize except for maybe like Jimmy Carr, and I might have been the one that brought him up. But uh, or we definitely said Billy Connolly. Very all right. Anyway, let's get into the podcast with my friend, marine biologist, architect, comedian, Robin Perkins. Hello. Hey, what's up? Sorry about that.
1: Oh, no worries at all.
0: What a terrible, terrible day. Uh, How'd the show at the comedy studio go? Uh,
1: It was interesting. Um...
0: (laughs) Oh, you were Wednesday, right?
1: Yeah, it was Wednesday. Did you yeah, hear uh, about...
0: i heard... Yeah. Names, yeah. Um, uh, and we, the, we don't have to mention names. Yeah, no, Because uh, I know who we will speak, be speaking of. So. Yeah. No. <laughs> the conversation, apparently, about Caitlyn Jenner. Uh, oh, I didn't hear... That's what I heard about. Oh, wait, what was Somebody that? Somebody was upset about a comedian set mentioning Caitlyn Jenner. And not even as oh. a joke, but basically just talking... If it's who, I think it was because I wasn't there. Yeah. Uh, but if it's who I think it was, I know he was on the show, and he did the same thing on Monday on the show with me. He was just like, So, uh, Bruce Jenner used to be a guy, used to be an Olympic athlete. No, no, it's a girl. I think that's kind of funny, right? Huh? And a couple comedians got mad about that, uh, obviously, because it's not even a joke. It's like yep. you're mentioning somebody else's life, and then, you I find that funny. Yeah, okay, mentioning something. It's like, yeah. one, is it, it, it's not tactful to, to, to just be like, huh? pointing fingers and laughing. Uh, but also, there's a difference between like
1: crafting something a joke that's and, just, funny and crafting yeah. a
0: joke. Like, seeing a guy slip on yeah. a banana pill is funny, yeah. Talking about a guy slipping on a banana banana peel is not a, a joke. joke,
1: yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, kind of yeah. Like, no, um, absolutely. Um, no, I, I was because I, I missed some of the sets because um, Chris Coxon was there, yes, who, yes, and, and he, Jimmy Tingle. Um, yeah, and, but Chris was in London, so after, so we, I went back to, I used to say hi, and then we just started talking about London for a while, um, so I missed, like, three or four sets, so that's probably when it happened. Oh, okay. And then, uh, other
0: comedians um, were just like, oh, there was terrible people in the show anyway.
1: Yeah, there was, the, well, yeah, there were some, there was some weaker points, well, a bit, yeah, there were some weaker points, and then...
0: And it's, I mean, it's not against like those people, they have to grow and learn and, and yeah. take their loans, like we all did, trust me. I've eaten many a plate of played on stage. Yep. Yeah.
1: <laughs> no, I know. And like it was uh it was just yeah, it was uh like the crowd weren't giving a lot anyway from the start and I don't know how he orchestrated the lineup if there was a lot of I thought in terms of the order, but I I think um, who was it, Emily? Because that Emily, there was like a changing point. Do you know, I don't forget her surname. It's a it Luskowski? Yeah, yeah. Yes. So she was supposed to go second, but she was doubling, so ended up going like middle of the show. Yeah, and there she was, was on a, my show that night too. Oh, uh, Okay, yes. Yeah, so there was a massive um, <laughs> turning point when she went on, just because I think that like um, she
0: did. Our, I think she did our show first because she showed up just when yeah. we were starting, and it would have been and a she different was show. Our show, yeah.
1: It would have been a different show if she or some of the higher energy acts were earlier on in the night or some of the stronger acts were earlier on in the night and it just took a while to get going. Um, and then there wasn't enough consistent strong people. And then also I know everybody gets a type 5, but like the more experienced people like saw the bill length and went between like 4 and 4.30 and then the less experienced people were going like... Too long. Too yeah. long. And so like with that juxtaposition, it was hard to really... And I think no that, yeah, it, yeah, again, like, I did alright, but some of, like, it was, some of the jokes that land everywhere, people just were like, mm, I don't know. Like, it, like I did well, but it was, like, like, one in particular, which I, like, it was just, I don't know if they, like, didn't get it, or what it well,
0: was. There was this weird thing going on, and it's weird, weird that you talk about the crowd wasn't really into it, and the show was this or that, whatever, with the studio that I've noticed recently, that... People have been blaming bad audience on the studio a lot lately, or it seems so to me. I'm not saying that.
1: Yeah, which I hate doing.
0: Yeah, i do not the bad audience as much as possible. Because
1: any act should be able to. um, Like, do you have you ever heard of Landry? Uh, he's American... Well, no, he's Canadian, actually.
0: Landry... Just uh, Landry? Landry. No, I feel like it's the last name that I've heard, but... No, it's just his first name. It was like John um, Landry
1: or something. So Landry comes over to the UK, and he... I run a club every Wednesday. was just like a proper club and gets big audiences and whatever. Um, but he had done a couple open mics with um, a couple... Canadian or like a UK acts that know him, and the first one was fine. Like it was, it was an open mic just stacked with a bunch of pros because all of the people that knew Landry came and did this open mic. It was like mm-hmm. the most, the best bill that open mic has ever had and will ever have or in history. Mic, yeah. That
0: is, that oh that my
1: god, is. it was ridiculous. But the second night, sometimes I um see like this awful like it's like the shittiest open mic ever in existence it's like if you took the corner of like an old Irish pub bunch full of like a bunch of 50 year old um, men so with bar in Dorchester
0: yeah okay yeah <laughs> and then you
1: just stick a mic in the corner of the room like literally it's not a, it's just they don't even know is going on and you try to do that with like open mic quality acts it was like it's a death zone like people are you. if you get one person listening like yay um, if you and, get one
0: person listening it's by accident
1: yeah it is like in like the first Time I did it. Um, I have a foldable bike, and um, there were like four acts that actually showed up, and one act went on twice just to see because he was like, "I want another go." He described them as the nicest unplayable crowd ever because <laughs> it's not like they hate you, but they're just they don't listen. And I they don't actually they just don't care. They don't care. Yeah. I actually had a unfolding and folding bike competition on stage uh, with another would, act. Who, yeah, who and that was at the fastest. That was the highlight of the night. And <laughs> The, the, the best thing is so after after so then all the acts go then the headliner Jerry the Hat comes on stage and reads off a bunch of internet jokes this is yeah right from pieces of paper he's not even trying to claim momentum. let me, let me the, sign like, louder
0: so I make sure the microphone picks it up
1: and uh so he goes on and then um and then a woman pulls an accordion out of her purse and it turns into a sing song like sing along like it was i have a photo of it it's amazing anyway so i've done this gig uh, a few times because i am see it and it's a tuesday night and i'll do anything for money but
0: <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that yeah.
1: So I go And uh, me and like Three other pros go down there With a couple open micers uh, Landry being one of them Two guys that know Landry And I told them I was like look If you get any other gig Take it Like yeah. any, any like, Don't come in it, it is the worst gig um, If you'd rather just shout at people in the
0: park Take that over this
1: More people will listen And they're like How ca- could it be And then afterwards they were like You did warn me you <laughs> did warn me and we go on, and it's obviously when we're chopping material. It's helpful to have like comics that you know and write with. So we all go together because we're like, at the very least, it's a mic and we'll get feedback and whatever. Right. So we go up and we do our thing. And um, and people were just, it was just harder than it normally is, which is saying a lot. And people like, it's just, there's fighting and there's like they have a football game on tv with the noise on oh, at the same oh, time the bar is like it's like twice the size of this room and um everything's everything's working against you at this yeah. place and like some one of my friends went up there and was like well you don't want to hear jokes which is also not the way to win a crowd because that's just insulting them anyway so everybody's you're saying telling
0: them what they want
1: yeah and then and so you're just going this is unplayable it's unplayable like there's no way you can work with this crowd and then Landry just goes on and just rips it and like all of us were just going, how did he do that? Oh, so actually it's never really the fault of the crowd. Like you, there are better crowds and worse crowds. There are yeah. definitely crowds that go in there and you don't have to say anything. They'll just like laugh and applaud and you can pick your nose and which is, love it. Which is
0: but typically the studio generally. Not yeah. to say that it's an easy room. Um, I think what, what somebody has told me once after I moved here to the Boston is like, yeah, if you can crush the studio, all that means is you can crush the studio. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, but I've noticed, and I'm again. I've every time I've done the studio, I've pretty much bombed, uh, whether there's <laughs> been a crowd there or not. Which you can't blame bombing when there's nine people in the audience and t- ten comedians who are know the dumb bit about me being in jail. They've heard it a hundred times already. <laughs> can't fault anybody for not going. Eh. Yeah, like, at least that you know for just five minutes of, you know, like you yeah. can't fault them for that. But I've been in rooms where. I walk off just like, "Ugh, that was terrible." And I, you know, like yeah. I have the I have the problem with quicksand. Like once one problem goes wrong, then it like if I if one joke doesn't land, especially at the beginning, of the, if 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 the first joke doesn't land, uh, I'm 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 shit for I'm shit for the whole rest of the thing. Yeah. Uh, and it's that's not good. Like I just start <laughs> snowballing and just falling back, back and then it's just terrible. Um But I've had enough problems in the studio where I even walk off stage and I'm like, oh, I just, I died up there. I did nothing. They're like, ah, dude, you did fine. It's them. They're a problem. They've been a problem the whole show. I'm like, are you sure? Because I remember hearing them laugh at other people. They did not laugh at me. (laughs) Maybe I got a giggle. They're like, nah, it's definitely Arms. And I know there's not the the people who would send this to me aren't the kind of people who are just like, they don't like me enough to to be like, no, Dennis, you're fine. They don't like me enough to to patronize me. They'll be like, if I saw they're like, yeah, no, you're terrible. You're awful. You're just like, no, that's, how much, that's how little they, they think of me that they'll say that out loud. But I've been hearing a lot of people just say, even when I ask them about the studios, like, ah, oh, dude, crap wasn't into it. And I don't know if I'm just picking up on all the times people say that. Yeah. And I'm I'm making it a bigger deal in my head than what it really is. I don't know. But it seems like recently there's been a lot a lot of problems with maybe the people, I mean, he's cultured a great audience there. Yeah. Great, great well, it's a following
1: and it's a, you know, people... Yeah, so, I don't know. I think, I, I don't know. I don't know what it was on the night. Maybe it was just a combination of a bunch of things. But at the end of the day, like, there were some people who did really, really well. Um, and I think that there's also some audiences that really enjoy it, but don't show it vocally. Which it been, is so frustrating. Have you done the Middle East mic? Open uh, mic? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's,
0: that's, I've, and I figured out, with the Middle East microphone, uh, oh, microphone, the Middle East open mic, that's the key to not walking off stage one and wanting to test the weight limit of your ceiling fan. Is you yeah. look for the laughs, don't listen them, because the room's very narrow and long. Yeah, and it's very high and it's it packed with comics. And very recently, we've been getting, we they've been getting a pretty good crowd there of people just like, yeah, I'm here to see the show. I'm here to see the open mic, and they will laugh and they will pay attention. Um, and I do have a good story about. It that if we ever get to it. But, yeah, about this week at the, at the Middle East. But the point was uh, that I've, I've come to realize that if I'm looking at people, which I do, I always look people in the eyes when I'm doing my jokes. I'm not one of those, yeah. like, I have to stare over people because if I look at somebody I freak out and no, I have to look at people. I have to see what they're doing. I have yeah. to watch. But if you, at the, at the Middle East, if you look for the laughs instead of listen for them, you'll get a better... Yeah, feel for your, your things because people are giggling themselves, and it's still kind of hard to hear in that room anyway. So if you're seeing enough people smiling and nodding, and their mouth going, <laughs> yeah, then it's you, fine. Yeah. You, yeah, then you know you're doing a little bit better than just trying to listen for a smattering of yeah. giggles. So anyway, um, what do, did you just come in town for from because you're you're living in London
1: now? You yeah, been a
0: couple years. Well,
1: six years now, and six I started stand up in London so yeah. i which is kind of an odd place to be in, because I have an advantage coming back here because I know the culture, but I started over there, so my style and everything is like British comedy, which tends
0: to be very uh from what I understand, and what I've seen is pretty punny in the in the mm. most it's very one linery still and very pun. Pun um, centric. Mm,
1: I don't know. I don't know. I, that's interesting to hear. Me, I, don't yeah. really know. I I do. There are. I think there's just a bigger diversity of styles okay. in the UK. And I've been talking to a few people about this. Which I mean,
0: to know, like the big time London uh, UK comedians, you really have to be deep into the comedy knowledge because everyone knows Jimmy Carr. Yeah, and they know like the old, older heads, Eric Idle, and like uh, the uh, uh, Billy O'Connell
1: Connor commonly
0: comic, Billy Billy, mm. common Yeah. Like, p- most people know who they, those guys are.
1: Outside of that,
0: like, who's doing really well? It is. Nobody has a clue.
1: It, it is amazing. And because I, I've played this game with other, like, UK, or with US people when I come home. And I'm like, Daniel Kitson, you've never heard of Daniel. Like, <laughs> that man, like, sells out within five seconds before he, it's even been announced. Like, people <laughs> just stalk him and follow him. And he's just, like, the legends of... Comedy that, um, like it, just don't come over here. And it's interesting because everybody in the UK kind of has this view that American comedy is like is the epicenter of everything and the great
0: America's global the epicenter comedians. of
1: Everything, but right? like, well, except it's, soccer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which you'd get shot if you called it that over there. Anyway, I, oh, I know. Um, but well, it, but I think it's more so uh, it's seen more in a positive light than everything because Americans are not uh, looked highly upon in a lot of other remakes of the world I know it's, it's shocking um, how, how many times in a day do you tell people like no not American Canadian yeah uh, no I do I, I have I have jokes about it my <clears throat> opening line in the UK is I'm American but don't worry I'm from a bit of the states close enough to Canada which means I'm not a prick <laughs> so uh, like <laughs> then you tell you're from Boston and you're like oh you're lying you are a prick yeah <laughs> But um, but in terms of comedy, it, you know they they see the great global superheroes, both historically and present, as American comics. And uh, like Dave Chappelle, I think, sold out like ridiculous ticket prices in you know like five minutes in the UK at London. He's coming over. He's like added extra dates. It's it's, it's ridiculous. But um, I think when you look at the actual live circuit. Like the normal live circuit, like the shows that I go to and I perform in, uh, there's a much bigger diversity of styles and acts and a bigger set of risks taken than on the U.S. circuit now. But I say that with a huge bias because I am very limited in the live comedy that I've seen. In the States, which yeah. is primarily just the shows that I'm performing in and shows in the New Hampshire, Massachusetts. In the New England area. In yeah. the New England area. Yeah, well,
0: it's it's weird because I'm from Baltimore. and I've been here two and a half years. And one of the things that I noticed that's different here than it is uh, in Baltimore is there's a ton of, and this is a great thing, it's not a bad thing, there's a ton of female comedians here. Yeah. Like, there's literally any, any regular show... In Boston, probably has more women on the show than there is all of the Baltimore comedy scene. Yeah. Like, yeah. there's not very many, and not to, to, to point fingers or, or to say bad things, but there are, the, the ones that are, in it, like, half of them are terrible. Not because they're women, just because they're terrible. But and if you look that, at male sad.
1: comedians, like, half of them are also terrible. Oh, yeah, of yeah. yeah. So
0: Yeah, it just, it also seems like a bigger number when you have fewer people. <laughs> yeah. Like, if you keep seeing, if you see ten people and five of them are bad, that seems like a bigger bigger amount of things than it is if you see 20 people and 10 are bad. Even though you're seeing more numbers of bad, you're still seeing more good. Yeah. I don't know if
1: that math makes yeah. any
0: sense. It's basically a perception. Well, let's
1: start... Because the... I mean, there's... It's interesting. Like, women are in the UK. Um, I think there's less women in comedy in the UK, I think, probably, than in New England, definitely. I don't know about outside of New England. Yeah. Um, and plus, the women here are great, too. That's yeah. Even, that's the
0: other thing, but Everybody at the level of comedy here is fantastic. And when I moved here, first of all, my kid did, I'm watching everybody, and I'm just like, oh, I gotta step up my the game. Yep. Oh, Jesus <laughs> God. Oh, no. But even the women comedians here, the comedians for the most part, are fantastic. But uh, you said that uh, you can go back to England.
1: Um, well, I think it's interesting, it's something that's been recognized in the last. Few years. Um, then no, you have
0: a tag on your. You still have the size tag on your shirt. Yeah,
1: no, no, this is the first time I wore it. Okay. It's exciting. It's like a cheesy. It was year bothering me because
0: it. I could see it slightly reflecting because oh, it's fine. plastic. Um,
1: All right, there we go. Yeah. Yep. I, I was I, trying not to say
0: that, like, it's just gonna be
1: distracting. I'm fine. It's fine. I, it's an ugly shirt and it's bright, <laughs> fluorescent. Like you can't <laughs> not look at it. Anyway,
0: uh, it's so loud the microphone's picking it up.
1: I know it is. It's, anyway, so. <laughs> <laughs> Women comedian, 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 right? So I think that it's it's been recognized in the last few years um, that like there is a very it's a very male heavy industry, and there there are certain promoters that are trying to do something about it. I think it's it was a really great time to start comedy for like to, to as from the comedy side of things to start it six eight years ago because the if you look at the open mic level, it's much more balanced. Like, But if you look at the headliner level, it's very lopsided. Mm-hmm. However, especially on TV and headlining clubs in that level, um, the industry is trying to push women more. And so in, in a way, uh, from being a comic, you get more opportunities at that level right now because they're trying to push you. Um, and hopefully that will stay until the gender balance is there. Having said that... There's a risk because there's the public perception in England is that women aren't funny. You know, I'm sure ever, and it's frustrating because the amount of times I've had women come up to me after shows and go, "I don't like female comedians, but you're funny." Like women say this to me, and I mean, never mind like male promoters going or like you're funny for a woman or you're you know something like that.
0: Um, and that's weird Because I always felt like Europe and England In particular Are much more progressive country Than we are here In, in the states
1: That Yes um, I, Yeah I mean I think that It's it's hard And there's been a lot of discussion As to why that is I know Like over here Again if you're a pro comedian You're traveling a lot um, England is small So you can drive to Scotland In eight hours And I'm You know Like you From London Isn't
0: there a lot of water In between the
1: two? No <laughs> really not? From London, to not Scotland it. just
0: off the top of my head, I could have sort of, they're no. connected. Okay, that made me look foolish. Yep, kids look
1: part's getting cut out. <laughs> Damn it, why can't I choose? So, <laughs> anyway, I'll leave it in. Oh, no, it's fine. Uh, but I think that well, what one of the things that people are suggesting that why there's less female um, headliner comics is because they don't. Want to have the life on the road, and yeah. then it's a lifestyle choice. Is that once you get to a certain level, then you actually decide to quit and have a family, a and life that it's year, whatever, yeah. Right.
0: Plus, being on the road for a woman is much more, unfortunately, much more uh tough and, and dangerous than it is for a man. Um, I mean, it was see, more or less I the entire point. Agree with of that.
1: That. Well, uh, yeah,
0: that, that Reese Witherspoon movie that was basically the entire point of uh, that, that. I didn't see that. that. She did some movie about Backpacking in the Appalachian Trail. Okay. Um, that was written by a woman who did it in, like, the 80s or something. It's called okay. it. well, something. Wild... something. Wild something? Wild horses.
1: I don't they know. know. It came out with me, uh, less than
0: a year ago. <laughs> but that was kind of the point. It was like a woman alone by herself on the trail is in much more danger than a guy uh, by himself on the trail because, you know, obviously everything that, that could everything that could possibly happen is worse for a woman because no guy's... Very, very often is a guy going to be, um, you know, preyed upon or sexually assaulted, or just seen as being weaker um, because of who they are. Yeah. Um, So even a woman on the road is still a little more dangerous, in general, I think.
1: I don't know. Like, I'm a bit fearless in that. And, I mean, half the time I'm on the road, I'm on the road with a car full of comics, so it doesn't really matter. Yeah. As long as you're with Um, people,
0: that's fine. It's the being alone part.
1: Yeah. Like, there's... I've never felt... But then again, being on the road, it's like, I'll, you know, go up to Newcastle and take an overnight bus back by myself, and it's not it's never, I don't know, I haven't felt in danger by it, I will say that. I've been, like, you get treated differently but then you equally get more advantages. I'm sure I've been given gigs over more qualified men because I'm a woman. But equally, I've been hit on promoters because I'm a woman. Or hit on by promoters. Yeah, anyway. Um, <laughs> but, I so I don't know. I think that's, that's the thought, is that why there aren't Women weren't um, sticking with comedy for the long run in the past, and that, of course, is changing. Yeah. Um, and then, and it should. And I,
0: I'm, I'm not going to say that we need a 50 50 balance. I, in my opinion, personally, we just should. Any woman who wants to do comedy should be doing comedy. They should be able to. They should be treated as equally as any man for how, how funny they are. Um, if it ever became an equal 50 50 percentage, or even 75 25 women, that's great. I don't know whether it would be that way because I don't think, ge- uh, like genetics wise, women want to do comedy as much as men do mm. in general. I don't
1: know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I agree with that. that come off sexist, but no, I don't know if I agree with that. I think. I mean, in an ideal world, I think you would have the it. It would be whatever percentage of women are is, is in the world population wise. Is it 60-40 that women men?
0: Honestly, no, I whatever I that percentage you know, whatever is, it should be, the, should
1: same be the same in comedy because I I don't know. I like ideally, that's
0: fine. Women have babies, see, I but see, I don't see it becoming that way because it's it is a very male dominated industry for two reasons. One, men run it, and they it was like no girls allowed. That was unfortunately the, the thing about it, also. But I don't think women generally want to do comedy as much as men.
1: Really? In I don't know. I think that's changing. And I think it so be, I mean, in maybe, the UK I think that the whole no girls allowed thing that is changing. Yeah. And very much the opposite is that women are being pushed more. And I think, which is a great thing as long as you're pushing the right people. Yeah. So if you look at the top women headliners that are on the live circuit right now, they're phenomenal. Which I could name a bunch of them, but you guys aren't going to know them. But Sarah no. Pascoe, Zoe Lyons, um, Carrie Godleman. Carrie uh, oh, Godleman. Yeah, she's phenomenal. Whatever. I I'm trying to like I it but there's a the name of maybe somebody who yeah.
0: Maybe the three people who will end up listening to this someday if I ever put it out <laughs> we will 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 go we'll, look we'll, them we'll. up. I'll yeah. Or I'll look them up, because
1: I always hear yeah. about what's um, going on. But then there's also um, the next level of women who are not yet on TV, but are headlining, who are doing really interesting things. Like, Beckhill and Ria Lina are two completely different female comics, but one of them does um, more alternative she does a lot with pop-up books um, she's like like every um, Edinburgh she'll get like loads of five-star reviews really interesting comic really great comic and then you have Rialina who's doing a lot of um, crossing of the line a lot of like talking about PC terms and political correctness in life in her comedy just really interesting so I think I don't know I, I think to say that women don't want to do comedy as much as men as not correct. Um, yeah, I mean if
0: I'm wrong, I'm wrong. That's fine. That's just or at you know, least that's okay. my perception in the UK. Yeah. It's I not an opinion to try and put it's like no we no, women don't want to do it. I just don't think generally women want to do it as much as men. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. That's fine. I know there's women who want to do comedy and they should do comedy and that's great and it's fine. Yeah. And we're also at the beginning, I've been talking about this for a while, that we are at the beginning, if not the middle of the new comedy bubble, same thing seventies and eighties, where now everyone wants to do comedy. And part of the reason why that is is because of this, because of podcasting. Comedy has become so much more accessible to people between podcasts and internet and whatnot. Like if you look at all the top podcasts, all the top podcasts across the board are done by comedians and NPR. That's it. Like there's a few that's that, that break it in here, but majority of it is comedians are doing podcasts, not even comedy podcasts. Doug Benson does a movie podcast. Granted, it's hilarious and funny, but he does a podcast that's listed as movies. So if you like movies, this is a top-rated podcast. You're probably going to end up listening to it. And then now he's a comedian. Now you become familiar with him. You become familiar with the other comedians that come on the show. And then now you're a comedy fan. And that's a great thing that we're at that because we want more people to come to shows, more people to see us perform and everyone else performing. We want people to be trained not to heckle, too. You listen to enough comedians talk about how much hecklers suck and how, no, you're not helping. Hopefully, it'll start influencing people to, to realize, oh, you're right, I'm not helping. I won't heckle. But uh, the problem with that is you also have a ton more people in the business now uh, yeah. trying to be comedians, and that's one of the things that you brought up. that you know, It was easier six, six or eight years ago because there wasn't as many people doing it as it is now. Six, eight years ago, you know how difficult it was actually to find anything on the internet compared to now. Like yeah. just finding a listing of open mics is near impossible now, or near impossible then.
1: Yeah. Now,
0: not so, not so difficult at all. There's there. I run site. I run a site that lists all the ones in within two hours of Boston, because I want to make sure that information is on the internet. <laughs> Um, you know, Sean Carter's been doing a great job with keeping his list on Unseen as updated, uh, updated as possible, too. Um, so, anyway. Uh, that's, you know, that, that's the good thing about being at the Big you know Bubble. I mean, you know, now you're, but you're having, we're, we're all having to fight against more people, more voices around us, which makes it a little harder to get noticed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, being a woman, I'm well, sure you it's need a little like,
1: bit easier. But. yeah. I mean, again, it's um. Well, you gotta have a USB like your unique selling point and uh for that sounds like such a fucking
0: jet, a technical dress for some job. I, <laughs> uh,
1: it's like, it's sure. like, that's,
0: I feel I feel like that's the equivalent of some office jobs version of SEO for marketing. Like that is yeah. those letters like no, we just say USB. and not done.
1: Um I do like again. I it's it's a really controversial. Um, Stand or not, it's a hard stem point to have on the whether or not it's easier um, to be a woman in comedy now because it is. I don't know exactly what the effects are. Like I know there are some gigs I won't get because I'm a woman, and there are some gigs I will get because I'm a woman. I know that a lot of agents right now are looking to up the females they have in their stable, so therefore I might get signed easier than a man who is better than me because they're looking to up that gender balance but equally there are a ton of gigs out there who are have requested not to have females on their bill so it's that's so archaic right and and then I mean, there I'm sure are it still happens
0: here but yeah. I, I rarely hear about it I'll yeah. occasionally i'll hear about it or i'll run to somebody who will say the same thing like, no i guess she was funny for a woman
1: yeah but, but then that, is that's it less like, that's becoming it's lot, becoming lot less. less. And then there are promoters who are, you know, if a venue comes and says, I want to build comedians, but we don't want any women on them, then most promoters will walk away or say, no, they're funny. We're doing it. Yeah. Doing it. Um, and so it, like, it is a tricky thing because if you're not, if you're not living it, then it's really easy to, it to say, well, if there are less women in comedy than they like the stereotype is that they're having a much harder time. And I guess I don't know if I'm having an easier or harder time because I'm a woman. I also don't know if it's because I'm, an, I'm an American. I don't know if I'm having an easier time because I'm an American in England. On one hand, there's a lot of xenophobia towards Americans in England. So that's going to hurt me. But on the flip side of it, it makes me unique. So I, like I honestly I don't know if it makes it easier or harder being a woman in comedy I know that probably um the best time to start comedy as a woman probably would have been six years ago because right now in a time where the industry is welcoming women in you already have that experience whereas if you start comedy as a woman now there are so many women starting comedy now that again that advantage You'd have from being a woman is less than it would be if you had more experience. If that makes sense? No, totally makes sense. Um, and if you like had equally if you started start now, comedy 15 years ago, then it's going to be a lot harder because it was very sexist 15 years ago. So that's it is now. Yeah. yeah. So there is there is that, but there's also the risk that if you're fighting against the public's perception that women aren't funny, then putting any female forward isn't going to help that stereotype. It's got to be the talented women and obviously there are a number of talented women but there are obviously a lot of untalented women equally as so there are talented men and untalented men so i think that if you actually put a woman forward for a job just because she's a woman not because she's ready for it that actually that could hurt the that could hurt the stereotype that's
0: that's the exact thing that i always worry about or think about in my own head it's like is uh, is this person getting it because we need? Because we're pushing women's Like example, there's here. There's the Boston Comedy Chicks that do showcases of all women. We have the Women in Comedy Festival here in Boston as well, and there's fantastic women on the Women in Comedy Festival. And I don't go to see any. I, I, for no reason. It's not like oh, boycotting the Boston Comedy Chicks showcases. Not. Nah, I just don't go to them because of timing or whatever day I'm whatever it happens to be. But I will look at their lineups and just see someone. I was like she's been doing like three months why are you putting it on, on right her, her, her. well because there
1: are enough women that are have been have the experience and have the skill so yeah. we just it's about finding them but it's equally i mean if you go into any job in the real world um that is trying to up the female balance they're going to look for a like the right female so it's not about putting any female on but finding the right female yeah, that's what should be
0: happening and then some, unfortunately it seems like sometimes it's not right. i think it's because you have to like if you're You want to push more women, but when you're pushing women, you're not always pushing the best.
1: So, but which is why, again, like if you started comedy six years ago in the UK as a woman, because there are so few, there are fewer people of that experience and that skill. They're actually getting more work, which which is is great. Yeah. Um,
0: Um, um, Now, when you, what brought you to London originally? Uh, I know we talked about this at the Christmas party back in December, but...
1: Yeah, uh, landscape architecture.
0: Okay, landscape architecture. Um, Are you still doing that, or did
1: you... I just quit. Well, no, I'm on sabbatical as of two weeks ago.
0: Okay. Because I remember, weren't you, when you went and started to do comedy, weren't you thinking about getting rid of your job? Uh, this was six months ago the last time we talked no I and I was drinking so I don't remember a lot of it I I have to talk to her again because it was a fascinating conversation
1: Uh, I moved over there six years ago to do landscape architecture three and a half years ago I started comedy a year and a half ago I went part time at my job that's what it was part time yeah um as soon as i got indefinitely to remain i now have a passport in the uk which is great so now i'm going to does that make you a citizen or yeah. okay. I, so i, I, don't know I have passports. so i have dual citizenship which basically means i don't need to be sponsored by any company i can do whatever i want Which means that I'll be able to spend, you know, like four months in London, four months in the US, and like a month in Edinburgh, which I realize is only nine months. Um, And and there's three unaccounted for. It's (laughs) been on the moon. Um, No, there's the great thing about, well, because there there are tons of comedy films. Festivals, there's um, a bunch in Australia, um, Singapore, a lot. So, a lot of the UK comics will travel certain months of the year. So, if you're London based, I'd say 70% of that could be a grossly wrong percentage, either high or low. 70% of comics go up to Edinburgh for the Edinburgh Fringe every year. And it's just what you do for three or four weeks spend a crap load of money, do 100 gigs and it is uh, it used to be that it was just all paid venues and you'd spend about you know 5 to 15,000 pounds to put on a show and get noticed But now there's like 2 or 3,000 shows every year Um so Oh,
0: I know what it is, but I do have a couple questions on it. You've done, have you done the uh, Edinburgh?
1: So I've done it, um, the first year I just went up for a week and did spots. In the last two years I've done the full run, which is three and a half weeks doing like your show every single day.
0: Now, I may be wrong about this and that's why I'm glad I have have talked to somebody who's been to it because wasn't it originally the Edinburgh Comedy Festival and then didn't somebody start Fringe Festival around it?
1: Yeah, I think and then it used to be festival like
0: basically became legitimate because they were it got so big and they were yeah. So like, like basically, it was like the a people who couldn't get something. into the festival decided to start their own festival around the festival. Yeah. That's the way I understand it. I believe so. Because that is fucking amazing. Yeah. Somebody's like, oh, we can't come to your party, we're gonna start our own party right around your party, and our party just got big. Yeah. Like our party's just as big as yours, and now. Now we everyone wants to come to our party as much as, as the other one,
1: yeah. No, and it, yeah, which is it, it is huge. And it started out by just having paid venues where you all the shows are ticketed, paid, but you also have to pay a crap load of money, put them on. So then, put which put was still and right, get, yeah. and then there is basically kind of a fringe of a fringe. <laughs> so there's the free festival that started, and that started about 15 years ago I really should know this um, but I
0: mean no you're, you don't need to
1: be yeah. the the, the, <laughs> the, the, yeah. the official historian
0: of the Edinburgh Festival
1: uh, Edinburgh by the way yeah. Yeah.
0: I've been there I know okay
1: It's still American <laughs> so
0: I have to say it the American way otherwise somebody will punch me It's like occasionally I I, I say Napolitan instead of Neapolitan. And someone's like, what is wrong with you? I'm like, that's how it's supposed to be said. (laughs)
1: Never mind. So that started about 15 years ago. Just basically saying people, like, you shouldn't have to pay 15,000 pounds to put on a show and inevitably lose a lot of money. So they started the concept of free shows where people can go and then pay, donate what they think is worth. Um, Which is now, again, huge. That has since split off into two and then three and then four, and now there's, like, a few different, like, free festival companies. Um, and, yeah, it's... For a while, it was seen that the free shows were not as high quality as the paid ones. Yeah, because there were also more alternative ads. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. But now, there's a lot of really, like highly regarded comics who are going free festival as well.
0: Well, it's also the the entire comedy genre in general is 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 the, moving towards the alternative style comedians now. Yeah. Like what's mainstream now for the most part is what was considered alternative years ago.
1: Is that the case here? Cuz I, I think so. Yeah. Really. I may I maybe just need to go see more comedy in the US because I have seen very little what I would Pen is alternative comedy. In fact, we had a big conversation well, so so, so, yeah. about it after Wednesday night. I mean, alternative I, is
0: also still a kind of sketchy term because I don't know if anybody can actually truly describe what alternative comedy is. We can just kind of point to other people go, well, we don't know what alternative is, but that person's alternative. Like Maria Banford is considered one of the greats of alternative comedy. And think about how big she is. I don't know how, yeah. you know, how much you hear about it, but she's, pretty big, she's a pretty big deal yeah, now yeah, yeah. Right here. You know, like she sold out Wilbur. Uh, theater here in Boston, which is what 1200 seats, it's not a lot, it's not a stadium, but a yeah. Lot. But then you have Bill Burr, who did 19 sold out shows at the Wilbur, yeah. Which means he probably could have filled the um, Boston Garden twice, yeah. And he did 19 sold out shows, and nobody would ever consider him alternative, right. so or Kevin Hart, no one considers Kevin Hart an alternative, and he's still selling out more shows and yeah. more stadiums than anyone else right. Like literally he has the Guinness record of more of most consecutive sold out shows or something like that.
1: I didn't um didn't realize that. But yeah, I I guess I just I haven't seen as much alternative on the not like just on the normal yeah. live circuit and Again, it could just be my
0: perspective and the perspective of the people around me because we tend to listen to more like Pat Oswalt but I'd Bob say like
1: audience. take away the top tier of comedians like, oh, yeah. take them away look yeah. at just the, the live lower. like the the live circuit that you and I are performing on that's where I don't see alternative comedy uh, yeah.
0: see I disagree because I think they're all being influenced by their top level like Chris Coxon I right, but consider...
1: he but he's not he gigged on Wednesday night for the first time in a year and doesn't want to do comedy anymore. So I wouldn't put him as like a he, he was phenomenal. And, yeah. But he was also uh, apparently brought on as like the different act of the night. Like that's why Rick called was like I you know want you on the night and he was phenomenal. And I had a couple friends in the audience who were like you know he was my favorite of the yeah. night. And but you don't see a, that man, often.
0: You don't he, see that very often especially done very well as well as he does but yeah. he would he's a good example of somebody who's doing you know an alt com- who's basically an alt comedian because his character is so outlandish and it's more about I mean my understanding of what alt comedy is it's more about who and what they're doing let uh, 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 see I can't even explain it now uh, it's more about how they're doing it than what they're doing like um, similar to what's saying what's um Uh, what do they call the non-comedy guys Uh, meta-comedy where it's it's less about the jokes you're saying the more the way they're being delivered in theory Uh, like uh, anyway I think I I I guess I
1: I haven't seen it as in such a high percentage as I do in the UK and that could be just because my I've only gigged over here I've only visited you know you could I've done less than 50 shows in the US probably yeah. Plus, definitely less than 100 where, yeah. so it, like I, my experience it's, it's, is not no, there right. but, um, but I also I mean, there's,
0: there's a fair amount but it's not like you're doing a show it's not like there's like if there's 12 people on a show 6 of them are all comics you may get 2 alt comedians in a 12 person lineup but that's 2 more than you would probably have seen a couple of years ago true but so that, that is out of similar. all the
1: shows that I've seen that is the only character act I've ever seen
0: Oh, I can name a couple Uh, here in Boston. But you also gig a
1: lot more. So if you say, all right, I've been to 50 comedy shows in Boston. You're like, yeah. I've seen one. So, So, but I guess the other thing that I thought was interesting that was um, the conversation that was started uh, after Wednesday night was um, people, this is from Boston Comics, saying that they are cautious in terms of their... um, they want to be politically correct in their comedy. And that even though comedy should inherently approach a line, question the line, cross the line, and figure out where that line is, is so that they as a comic were afraid to do that because they everything is videoed and everything's on social media. And if you cross the line too far once, then you know your yeah. career can be over. And that so that try- comics are guarded like, in the Boston area. This, just one comic who mentioned I, it, I but the it. comics are guarded and, which I found quite interesting.
0: Yeah, and it does, uh, like, I've had the problem myself, thought-wise. Um, I've heard of the same thing from other people. And in fact, uh, f- a, comed- a female comedian just did her last show. We just showed together Sunday. She did her last show because she's uh, a lawyer um, and she is getting, like, moved, she's moving up in the ranks of her um, lawyer-ness. Um, yeah, <laughs> her, her what do they call the people of lawyers all together? Like the the guild? No, i yeah. <laughs> Anyway, her law firm. Probably Murdered. not the lawyers she's getting more recognized in a law firm, and she's worried that she's going to go on stage. And she is very, I say bland, not as an insult, but as in um, offensiveness. She's not offensive at all. She's she's very middle of the road, um, delightful, slightly goofy, but. She would never, ever say anything that would offend anybody, but she's quitting comedy because she's now getting up in the ranks and she doesn't want to accidentally say something that's going to affect her career. And me working in radio, I've had that fear from, from the start that I'm going to say that everybody's videotaping everybody and I'm so... Even though I'm a nobody, piss ant, barely open mic comedian in the Boston area that nobody gives two shits about, I still have that fear that I'm going to say the wrong thing on stage while I'm trying to work something or... We don't even care about context. They won't even regard that the context is a joke or that I'm being satirical. And they're going to film it or they're going to blog it. Jezebel's going to pick it up. And now all of a sudden, I'm the asshole misogynistic guy who's talking about rapes or whatever they want to make it turn out to be. Um, and then now I'm pretty much black-labeled from people. And I'm I have, my phone starts blowing up from 500 hate tweets a day from women feminists that's like, you're the worst thing that happened to comedy, this is why nobody wants to go to comedy shows because people like you. It's such a rare thing to happen. But it is something that people think of. Like if the big guys are getting even not only the big guys, there are everyday. Like there's there's there I'm not saying there's a war against comedy, but there are certain organizations like Salon. I don't know if Salon has ever Salon or Jezebel have ever written a positive review of any comedian ever. Like the only time they mention a comedian is when they're tearing them down, yeah. Because they said something that is slightly offensive. You know, Louis C.K. was getting it with his SNL bit. I don't know if you heard about that over there, but yeah. He, he, yeah. So I, it's is is the the fear of being called out on a joke for being offensive as prominent? Is that a thought over in England
1: right now? Yeah, I would say it's less so than it yeah. is over here.
0: Because they're a little more welcoming and they kind of understand. Like, is there is there a cultural difference why they would be less likely to call foul play on a joke than here in America? Do you know? Do you think? Um, Opinions are okay, <laughs> and it's okay to not have an opinion on that question too.
1: Um, I think there's just less of a. Like, take it and run assumptions. Like, if you say something that seems like it's crossing the line, then somebody will listen to the joke. And so just because you use a bad word in a joke doesn't mean you're being offensive. Just they'll listen to the joke and decide if it is offensive. Like, it's, it's not that you can be a racist on stage and that's okay. That's not the point. Okay. But so are, if you... Uh, yeah, I mean, if you if you make a joke that isn't offensive if you actually listen to the to what it the is context. saying the context I guess there's maybe just more awareness on the context yeah, or I've, that people there is um, there's a bigger because people I think I don't I, I I don't know why it is but people I feel like are pushing boundaries and what they're saying or they're more freely saying things
0: okay. like one of the problems I notice here is why a lot of this happens is People are, are flat out ignoring the context of a joke. And a great example of that was when Stephen Colbert got um, all, all, all up in trouble for um, doing the, the Redskins Asian uh, joke. He was making a joke about the Redskins owner. Obviously, the Redskins title is very offensive to some people. Um, everybody? I don't know. Native Americans? Everybody. Yeah, everybody. My, my grandmother, if um, she was still alive, but. Um, he, he was making a satirical joke about how Dan Snyder, the owner of the Redskins, has now started another thing called the uh, an Asian um, program to fund them, or whatever it was, called the Chinky Chinky Chinks, or whatever it was. So, Sue Pack, I can't believe I remember her name, was just some Asian blogger, got all offended by that, when was like, ah, oh, take his job away! And yeah. he went through it, and he was like, listen, he was saying, that is just as bad as if they did that. Yes. He's not saying... That this is what you should do. She goes, "Oh yeah, no, I completely understand it." But he still shouldn't have said it. It's like, you know, the context was a joke, and it was supporting right. the other thing, and you're blatantly ignoring that. It's just, like I worry about it because uh, a good example, personally, myself, with worrying about the context, is I have a joke I had. I don't know if I still do it anymore. I know if I do, I don't know if I ever do it again. Where I talk about um, uh, just the basis of it is I met a woman late at night. Uh, it's a joke I call the law and order I meet somebody late at night she was going uh, we were staying on a street corner outside of a thing we were talking having a conversation she was waiting for a new one I was like well do you mind we just talk while you go while, while we wait for her She so, like yeah we had a great conversation she gets car drives away my fear is that something would happen to her I'm now the last known person to be with her that's when the t- law and order detectives green and yeah. come in my work and I'm now falsely accused and the problem that I had with it is when I started doing the joke is like now I'm falsely accused of raping her or sexually assaulting her or whatever that is. And I had to stop saying that because as soon as they mention the word, people just... <gasps> yeah. I'm not talking about raping her. I'm not talking about... I'm not obviously making light of, of it. It's a very big fear that something would happen to somebody and that I could be falsely accused of it. It's... Whatever. People don't like it. I don't care. That's fine. They don't yeah. have to like the joke. I uh, But... I tried to make that as funny as possible, but I have to dance around certain words because those trigger words will just turn an audience off real quick. Like if you just say the word rape, even if you're not making a rape joke, if you just happen to mention the word rape, audience shut down.
1: Yeah. You know? Well, there are certain, like I mentioned earlier, but Ria Lina is a good friend of mine and is doing um, a show in Edinburgh called taboo raider and it kind of it actually touches on all of those things and i mean she like i guess it's called the euphemism treadmill of like certain words that become right. offensive but she's also looking at like what the origin of political correctness comes from and like what words mean and it's i do not do as good of a job of explaining <laughs> this at her but it's there i mean Certain words are offensive to certain communities. Certain words have historical reasons why they're offensive. Um, And there are other words that don't necessarily have historical ties to them, but are then become offensive because of society, but we're not actually listening to it. So, like, for example, um, in... So in Boston we call like liquor stores package stores right yeah. and we like packies like yeah. right it's you know it doesn't offend anybody here in the UK packy is the most offensive okay. word to anybody from Pakistan like like you you can't you just can't and yeah, so, here in America we just
0: find much worse words to say than just packy like right. and it was like this is the words that we're going to call you
1: But it's, um, so, I mean, I had written a joke about it and it's an interesting joke because those audience members who are smart enough to say, okay, you're not being offensive. And then there are audience members who are going, oh, you just use that word. That's no. But I, I think, um, it, I mean, it does have to do a lot with the context and what you mean by it and what the intent is, um. But I also think that what is interesting is uh, the ability of comedy to talk about those issues as well. Absolutely. And I think that is, I think, I don't know, what what I hear from, I mean, there are larger, or like more successful, or higher profile comedians who are doing that. And I haven't heard a lot of that on the open mic. Circuit in Boston, which is interesting.
0: Well, also if you're if you're going to take on any subject that is, you know, in the in the mainstream that has a poignant position, it's really difficult to do it and make it funny. If you're a newer comedian, and you just yeah, no, that's true. I mean, you could try to, but it's also not on your radar of being able to do. Like, I would love to do social commentary. Um, I stick mainly to personal stories and incidents yeah. and myself because that works better than when I try to put up my opinion of popular culture because uh, most of my popular, most of my thoughts on popular culture is you're all wrong <laughs> and it's very attacking and I know that and I wish I could be the John Stewart of pop culture and reference of things that we do every day like okay everything that we that society loves I hate Yeah, not on a reason but I like I'm so sick of hearing about bacon like if you want to get an audience on your side you mentioned how much you love beards, bacon, and weed, and they're all automatically on your site. I love bacon, but I just hate hearing about it. I think, <laughs> I think beards are... My joke about beards is that they're like reality shows. Not everyone has one. None of them are any good. But we all love them, and nobody knows why. Uh, and that immediately turns off because everyone's like, oh, beards are the best thing ever. No! In my opinion. But then I don't smoke weed. So yeah. I don't want to go on stage talking about weed. And when I hear somebody talk about weed... Just makes my blood boil. Smoke all the week you want. I don't want to hear or talk about it. but my roommate smokes a ton, um, and it just smells nauseous to me. I don't. I don't like the smell of it. I've smoked it. It's not one of those. It's a bad thing that no, I've done it. I just don't. It just doesn't appeal to me. It smells terrible. But that's my personal opinion. And I've mean, never too many burnouts. That's just like oh, you're the, the worst person in the world. Please go away. So I have that on it. But we can, you know. I guess oh, you can't sure. do yeah. all those things because it's, it's a ten times harder a fight to get people on board. Last night alone, we did a, a show. Three comedians came up, talked about how much they loved weed. Another comedian came up and talked about how he, just had, how he had to quit weed. And the audience hated him and literally booed him. Literally booed him the moment he talked. And his joke was, I had to quit weed. for uh, Two years ago, I had to quit weed. And a joke here, there, there. And then he goes back, but hey, now I'm back to smoking weed again. Yay. But they were already turned off because he said, I quit smoking weed. Like, I, that's... It's an uphill battle because everybody wants...
1: Everyone wants, you know, mm-hmm. the cool... Be, be the
0: cool person. By the way, what time do we, we uh, get to I, uh... It's
1: 12.54 right now. Okay. Probably, like, 10 minutes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. For, um, yeah, but um, I guess I... I don't know. I uh, guess I... One of the things I'm looking forward to spending more time in this country in the future then is getting into that and seeing actually how that develops. Because right now I have a very... Very narrow uh, sampling of what U.S. comedy is. Like I yeah. have seen, you know, obviously like videos of all of the big guys, and I've seen like the open mic, and I have very little intermediate experience in between. Yeah. Um, all
0: right, let's uh, change something because technically the point of the podcast I'm doing is to talk to people about their day jobs. So let's get into uh, the landscape architecture, architecture real quick. Um, why did you? How and why did you get into landscape architecture? Which I think is kind of a. Uh, it's basically landscape architecture is designing um, public space. Okay, there you go. I was going to say bed gardens. I'm like that sounds very, very, no. very medieval. So
1: I actually I, I used to be a marine biologist um, until I was like twenty one ish, um, and still do work with that. But then just it wasn't creative enough, so. I then went to Italy to take classes in graphic design and culinary art, at which point I decided to go into graphic design, which I found a school in Savannah that also oh, yeah. had yeah, okay. architecture. And I was like, oh, architecture, that's the perfect combination of math and creativity. And then... Uh, so, I was going to take classes in both of those, but they were like, Well, why don't you just pick one of the two? Because if you take classes as a non degree student, they won't count towards anyway. So, just start at one if you want to transfer you can. And so, I was like, Right now, I was like, just literally on a whim, in mid conversation, was like, Well, architecture. So, I went into architecture, but uh, never actually went to the school because my, um, my brother in law at the time was like, You know, we're moving to Boston to. Be near you. And I was like, Boston. Because at this point, I was thinking about moving down there. So then I looked up architecture schools in Boston and started at the Boston Architectural um, College. Did a year and a half of that and realized that I. Actually wanted to go into landscape architecture, which is like Pablo's case, scale, because it just, I thought, was closer to land art and had more of a sculpture side of things. So then transferred to Harvard, did my master's there, and um, graduated, then wanted to live in Europe for a year. So that's why I went to London for a year in 2008. And six years later, I have a citizenship, and I'm not doing it anymore. But
0: <laughs> so you went there for a year for school,
1: or you no, just, went for just a to work? No, 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 oh, no to, to work. To work. So, so you heard about, you were there like... was a firm that actually is based in. Because the chair of my department had recommended me to this woman who has an office in Boston and London. Um, and so she approached me, and I was like, "Well, if I work for you, I'm going to work in London because I want to live abroad for a year." So she initially now, what were you sponsored you in the me. You, 27 I Okay. Think. um so you're 28 you're working 28 the company has
0: offices in both you were working for them when you were 27 in you London after
1: work. yeah a couple of years then moved companies to this big corporate one because of the economy and I've been there ever since um, and how
0: long were you living in London before you started doing stand up
1: two and a half years Three okay. years. So two and a half, three, three years. years.
0: Three years you were living in London, doing landscape architecture, and all of a sudden something made you decide to start doing comedy. What was that?
1: Um, a friend of mine at my office decided to take a comedy course and was like, do you want to take it? And I was like, yeah. And I uh, I actually don't, I because I wasn't ever one of those people that loved comedy their whole life. I saw one live stand-up show before moving out there, which I still remember, and I was luckier than I ever knew that I was, but when I was doing marine biology, I was working with a program with a charity called Ocean Matters, uh, and I was in Grand Cayman for a month doing coral reef research, and for our one night out, we went to see Mitch Hedberg in Grand Cayman, so I got to see Mitch Hedberg live when I was 17. And I still the whole reverse show. I know. I see and and having not really known what stand up comedy was before seeing it, we were all going is is he pretending to be high? Is he actually high? Which the answer is, yeah, he actually high. And he just he had his hood up the entire time, uh didn't really look at the audience and I like I still remember some of his jokes as well, which is incredible to me now as a stand up comedian to look at um, a uh, single headliner 17 years ago and still remember some of his set list. Yeah. Which, because I, I don't, you know, if I saw a headliner three years ago, I wouldn't remember any of their set.
0: Yeah, I mean, like, I could still probably recite majority of Dennis Leary's No Cure for Cancer uh, from the first time I listened to it in middle school. We were about the same age, so what, sixth yeah. grade? Yeah. 94, 95 it came out, something like that. And, uh... I could probably still recite the majority of it to this day, but that's also because i listened to it over and over and over yeah. again. I didn't hear it once and immediately pick it up. So that's that yeah. something that affected you that much. Yeah. That you would still be remembering. Like it I said, that time. my
1: style is not at all like him. So, uh, but anyway, so I like saw then stand-up comedy probably two or three times over my life before this. And... Um, if my dad doesn't remember this, but once he was like, "You would be really good stand-up coming. obviously based in nothing, but oh, he doesn't yeah. remember this at all. You say
0: something funny, somebody eventually somebody's going to go, "You know, you should be stand-up comedy. Yeah, you're a, you're a yeah. funny person."
1: Uh, but yeah, and then more people
0: stop listening to the people that tell them that. That <laughs>
1: is a true statement. Uh, yeah, and then my I so I just took this course. And, uh, day one of the course, I, I mean, I, it was one of those things, this has happened to me on multiple occasions, which probably is an indication that I jump into things without thinking about them first.
0: Really? Um, the fact that you've had four different careers that take people years upon years to learn and get into. Yeah. And uh, now you're jumping into college. Uh,
1: the very first day of architecture school, we were all going around in our studio and had to say our name and our favorite architect. And I couldn't name a single architect. I just decided to go into architectural No, I did. So I just copied the person before me, and <laughs> I really love that guy too. No, She's that a is. Woman.
0: Oh, uh, yeah. I. It, it was
1: exactly what happened. The guy, person before me was like, "I really love I Pei. and I was like, "That's good. good. We'll go with that one." <laughs> uh-huh. And then equally, the first day of the stand-up comedy course, like I hadn't seen stand-up comedy. I couldn't. I didn't. Like, I, I don't know. I think I probably said Mitch Pedberg just because that was the only comic that I could name. Or, I, or maybe, I don't know, I maybe had said, I don't know, maybe Louis C.K. at the time. Like, I just, I made something up because I was like, I don't know. People were saying names of people that I had no idea. And still to this day, for the first two or three years, actually, no, I still do it. Um, people mention comics to me all the time and I just have an iPhone note of like comedians that I really should know. Actually, this will be funny. If we go to the list of people that I really should have known, but, uh, <laughs> some of the people You're, that people are like, it's essentially
0: like the Captain America list from, from yeah. America Two. The
1: way it's yeah. where he's just like, Oh, it's my list of things I need to check out. Oh wait, no, I, uh, should, I may have deleted ones. Um, that, okay, let's go to the. Who else is on here? Because oh, Mark Thomas, I really should have done Chubby Brown on there. Oh, Kevin Hart was on there at one point oh. in time. Yep, there you we go. Take a
0: picture of that screen?
1: Is it? No, it's really embarrassing. No. I, don't want I want know to. that's why I want to
0: take a picture. I of don't it. like. I
1: don't. I don't actually. There's names that
0: you'll you'll mention the less embarrassing names. Yeah. Uh,
1: it just, uh, it just, No, I don't want to. No, I can't. <laughs> it's too
0: embarrassing. Uh, anyway, can so... I at least look
1: at it and I won't say it out loud? I don't know if I trust you, but yes, you can. I won't say that a okay. I at least want to look at this list. But the um, list... Jerry Seinfeld, you said But yeah, it, Jerry, this, is, <laughs> but yeah no, I... Uh, so I go to this course and people are like, don't even, all right, don't... I'm not going to say anything, but... Oh, oh no, 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 Okay, some of these were... Okay, I... Okay, Eddie Murphy and George Carlin, they were very specific <laughs> bits on there oh, that right. I was told to look up because okay, I did a show on bereavement. That's great. Okay, fair enough. All right. So... Uh, <laughs> Anyway, this is why I was like... The, I can't my eyes
0: immediately drifted to the ones that would be the most embarrassing, which contextually... Was yeah, no, answer.
1: it was just their bits on yeah. on death and dying. Anyway, I so I go into this course day one, and this happens, and I was like, right. But then the first day of the course, we just had to stand up and uh, just talk for two minutes. It didn't have to be funny. It was just about something about us for two minutes. Um, and I just, I loved it, and it just felt... Right. And I remember calling my sister leaving the course that night. Like, still, I'd never done a gig just day one of the course and just said, in some way or another, I will be doing this for the rest of my life. And That's good. yeah. Now, the,
0: I'm very in, uh, interested in the way that people have to deal with their, because any other job in the world, any other career, you basically, outside of schooling, if you want to have that job in that career, you just get that job. And then you're getting paid, and now you're that person. Comedy and entertainment in general, anything in the arts, you have to start doing that unpaid for a long time. So there's so many entertainers. Like the trope is if you're an actor, you wait tables. If you're a comedian, you work in a, in a coffee shop. You know, if you're an artist, you have a rich girlfriend. Like if you're a painter, you have a rich girlfriend. There's those troops that people well, have yes that and no. I
1: mean, I think I, I, comedy no. is a bit different though, because um, like musicians get trained in the same way that lawyers do, where they'll go to university and they will study and they will do that. There is like a formal training. If you look at a formal training of comedians, it's like, yeah, you can take a comedy. I don't know if I have comedy courses over here, but yeah, you can take a couple comedy courses and it's fine. But that's not the same thing as doing a undergrad for 4 years and then getting a masters in your in acting you know like there yeah. there is a certain set of schooling so then when actors then have to leave that and be unpaid or work for very little money it's harder whereas i think comedians the first you know 5 years of your career of doing unpaid work for five years is essentially you going to university. That is your university is doing yeah, it.
0: Yeah, technically. I uh, know, and, and I agree with that. Like the open mic scene is where we're learning. It's a comedian's open mic is a musician's garage for the most part. Like that's where they're writing and working and, and uh, perfecting their material. We're doing the same thing in front of an audience there. But even, at, you know, to this day, comedians who are 10, 15 years in, Unfortunately, end up having to take unpaid work, but to get to the point where you can be a working comedian surviving off your money, of the money you're making from comedy, or even painters, musicians, to make a livable wage takes so long and it's still even so rare. I mean, there's bands that I know now that tour the entire world still have gay jobs because yeah. the music industry doesn't pay them enough to make a living off of them. Um, and it, I, I find it interesting for how we balance that. Like, if you wanted to be an architect, you get a job as an architect, and you're automatically getting paid. Granted, you went to school and this and that, whatever. But as soon as the moment you start working for a company to be an art a landscape architect, you're being paid.
1: Yeah, I guess I just through their
0: entire lives.
1: That's different in different countries as well. I mean, granted, cool? in the UK, it is changing now um, to become more like the US. But if you looked at the UK comedy scene five, ten years ago, it was like you put in time, which was probably equal to that of a college degree and after you gigged every single night for four, six years you're making a full-time living off of it.
0: Do you think it's easier to make a full-time living in the UK off comedy than it is here in America?
1: uh, Yes, but that is rapidly, rapidly changing. It is way harder now than it was a year ago and it's way harder a year ago than it was five years ago. Okay. Um, It it is sad, but...
0: ten fifteen 15 years in... And they still have to work a day job because...
1: Yeah. I mean, I know line. comedians like that as well in the UK. And it, it obviously changes if you have a family or you don't. I mean, I don't have anybody to look after but myself. So if I make a 1,000 pounds a month, that I can live off of. Because if I need to buy frozen spinach and ramen noodles, then that's what I will do. Um, but if I have two kids, I, I can't do that. So, I like, obviously... there's
0: ramen noodles not great for kids.
1: Yeah, well, you know, they like them. But it's, um, but they're like, obviously, there's a difference between whether or not you can make a livable wage with family and whether or not you can make a livable wage as a single person. Yeah. I mean, this is mostly um,
0: generalizations. Obviously, the comedian who's funnier and works harder and is able to promote themselves better, they're going to be able to switch over to being a paid comedian faster than somebody else who doesn't market themselves so well, who is having a strong, harder time yeah. with, with, with material and whatnot, or even having yeah. a car. I, I yeah. know I'm never going to be a torn commuting until I get a car. I can only do shows as far as the, the, the commuter MV, yeah. The, as far as the team will let me. No, no, no,
1: I'm the same way too. But I mean, there is the story, like also how much time you put in. Like um, yeah. Jimmy Carr, when he started, uh, he would double, triple every night. He took a year and he would gig anywhere and everywhere unpaid for a year he would and he worked his ass off like he just would go if he get a gig in you know this town he would look at like any comedy nights within a four like 50 mile radius and go how can i do all these in one night i'll do it just give me five minutes and every single night did at the minimum one but anywhere between one and five gigs a night every single night for a year and you you do something that frequently then you know
0: you're going to get noticed, you're going to get better, you're going to yeah. get move up faster.
1: So, But there's also certain gigs that you learn from more than others. I think also in general in the UK, people invest more into live comedy than they do over here. So there physically are more paid gigs. I in think. the UK. Yeah. And it's, it's a different, there are less showcase style gigs. So over here I've noticed that there's a lot of Pro nights where people are paying to get in, but most of the acts aren't paid because they're all doing 10 minutes. Yeah. Right? I don't know. Maybe that's an assumption that's not true. Well,
0: there's a, well, there's a lot of places, like, uh, there's still a huge battle here with what you should be doing, uh, what you should do that gets you paid, and what doesn't get you paid. Um, like, the, the acceptance level of, like, everyone in, in Boston's accepting to do the comedy studio without getting paid. Yeah. Um, whereas people have been finding UCP. For years, who don't pay any of their, uh, any of their, yeah. their, their acts. Um, there was a discussion recently in the Boston comedy community about doing a college gig unpaid. And it's like, no, colleges have the money you should be paid for them. Or yeah. people doing um, Gig Salad or one of those websites. It's like, hey, um, when you're accepting lower money and you're undercutting somebody else because you're a lesser, lesser of a comedian than somebody else, you're hurting the scene in general. Yeah. Like, it's great you wanna do, great that you're hungry and you wanna get stage time, but you're also doing it. Uh, detrimentally to the people who should be getting these gigs because they're better than you um, and you're cutthroating their their price yeah. thing. and then it also what affects like what they're worth and et cetera et
1: cetera what the general public view is live comedy yeah like if you're gonna expect people to pay money for comedy they should get what their money is paying for and so if they're then paying money to see comedians that don't have the skill set that they should be getting then that's also hurting it, yeah yeah there's a lot of, because that's, that is, again, with the influx of comedians in the UK, it is happening more and more. And there's, um, there's also discussion on quality control. Like, how do you get, how do you make sure the acts that say that they are good are as good as they are? Like, sure, somebody once paid you to do a 20 minute set. It doesn't mean that you are a qualified opener. Yeah. So, um, and everybody can have a good Video because everybody's done one well once in their life like so it's it's really hard to to where you sit in on that standpoint as well and then there's also like I, another thing of fees in terms of like inside London outside London at least in the UK yeah. is like if you can. Do four gigs in a night, then no matter how good you are, you're more likely on a Friday night to take a 50 quid gig if it just means that's another 50 pounds. It's not like you're giving up anything else to do that. So.
0: Yeah, instead of doing four shows for nothing, do one show for 50. 50 and, no,
1: no, no. Well, instead of doing like. If you get one show that's 150 and then you could do two shows and your second show is only $50. you are not going to take the 50-pound gig if that's the only show you're oh, okay. doing. I got you what you're saying. But if you're yeah. going out anyway... You're, you'll you take didn't... a lesser-paid
0: show if you're getting a bigger pay... If you're getting okay. bigger pay than that. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah well, that's just Cause if you
1: if you drive... If you have to drive two hours to, you know, the middle of nowhere, that's the only gig you're doing for the night. Yeah. You can't. But... In one gig for 150 pounds isn't as good as four gigs for 50 pounds.
0: And then the last thing, and then then I'll let you get back to working online and I have to go back to my job. (laughs) But the last thing is, how difficult was it at the beginning working your day job and finding time to do comedy? Was it, like for me, I get up at four in the morning every day. And like last night, I was out until 1230 I'm doing, uh, not anymore, but there was a time where I was doing five to eight open mics a week, and it just drags on you when you do that. Yeah. Now, if I got up at eight and worked till five, physically I'm a little bit, I feel better for that. Is, is, did you have that problem with scheduling?
1: Yeah, I, I don't I don't function very well with no sleep either. So, um, it, oh, I function with zero sleep all the time. Oh, I can't. <laughs> and I also, like, I host a lot, and in the UK there's a lot more... Um, crowd interaction with hosting which I find to be a lot harder if I haven't slept because you're thinking more and I just feel like I don't perform as well if I haven't slept but that's probably me being a baby so when I started and I was gigging I don't know when I started for the first couple months it was only one or two times a week and then after that it was probably four or five times a week and that when I was working full time like it started out okay and then as the gigs amped up I just started burning out and it got to a point where I just couldn't function. And then I went part-time. And then that was great. Um, and now I gig, you know, at least seven times a week. And so I'm. it got to a point, again, even seven times a week with 20 hours a week in my day job, I was burning out and I didn't have enough time. But I'm also promoting a club. So it's not just doing comedy. It's also getting people in the door. Um, but, yeah, just burned yeah. out to a point where I had to quit my job and so now hopefully it'll be a better balance and things are
0: working out so far that it's been two weeks two weeks and i've been here for two weeks so (laughs) it's i
1: can't tell uh well we'll see
0: uh all right i'm gonna get out of here uh but real quick um next time you're in town i insist on you calling or or get shooting me an email let me know how it's been not having a job yeah and just doing comedy Cool. Hopefully it's going to be a success right? story. <laughs> um, but even if it's not, I want to hear about that. Because this, I think, to me, that's fascinating watching somebody go. Watching somebody story.
1: else fail. I know. They're it's entertaining.
0: It's entertaining. I mean, <laughs> not fail. I want to hear the good stories, too. Even the bad stories. I just want to hear where people come. I find that fascinating. People having to work towards what they want and what they're willing to do, I think, is incredibly interesting. And that's why I started this. And plus, people, I have known too many communities that have very interesting jobs and then we're also doing this really cool job that everybody else wants to do, but like landscape get I'm sure there's somebody out there who's just like, I like designing outdoor, you know, it's similar to civil engineering where that's more mathematics than it is design, but it's still one of those things like that is a career. That's a real career that you could do. Marine real career, but you're now taking this other art-esque thing to do as well, so I think that's interesting and I want to hear about how it works out. So, cool. Cool, thanks for doing this.